0: Good morning and blessed sabbath to every one of us and this sabbath It's with a heavy burden that I have to come with this message Because usually when pastor James asked me to preach here, I have this 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 anxiety because I said What should I preach to Aztec church and he always gives me a specific theme and a specific? uh, Message that okay. Can you preach about this passage or can you preach about this theme and so on so forth? but this time around He said, feel free, bro. Whatever you want to say, you you, you just say it. And for the last two weeks, I've been burdened with this this thought in my mind. And I was like, God, is this what you want me to say to this church? I'm not very comfortable about it. And, And yet, here I am. And so before I'm going to share the Word of God to every one of us, I just would like to invite every one of us to bow our head once again for... A short prayer. Father God, in all your power, speak to us. Because in my heart, honestly speaking, Lord, I'm very hesitant to preach about this message. But it has been implanted in me and I I somehow could not let it go. So this morning as we are going to look upon this passage and look upon the message that you have prepared for this church, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. For we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, how many of us have ever thought this kind of thinking? It's Sabbath again. And perhaps this church, Aztec, may not struggle with this issue. I don't know. But I, being through a pastor for all these years, I've heard this statement, and at least I have spoken about it a few times. Like it's Sabbath again. And, and instead of looking forward for the joy and for the, for the excitement of being in church and serving the Lord, I, have, I, I struggle with the idea of that, you know, it's Sabbath again. Why? Because many times when it comes to Sabbath, it's time to be busy once again. And I had one of my young adults told me back in Ballester Church, you know, I ask, Hey, how is your week? Working well? And then, uh, how is the day? Working, huh? and, 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 and And she said, you know, Pastor, I'm actually working every day. It's just my employer from Monday to Friday is my company. And on Sabbath, the employer is the church. Because I still have to work, I still have to do this, I have to prepare the PowerPoint, I still have to come on time, I still have to do ART because she's doing singing at church. And so, so she said, working, huh? every day is working. I'm, a, I'm not a Sabbath keeper. I'm a Sabbath worker. And, and, and it is something that I think very common among many people. That somehow we have these challenges of, of continue to do things over and over and over. And you just wonder, is Sabbath really a true day of rest? Is Sabbath is a true day of joy and celebration? And today... And perhaps after saying this, I will not be invited in this church anymore. Yeah. But I said that from now on, uh, Pastor James over here. what I will say, you can be freed on Sabbath. You don't have to do anything anymore. You can just relax and enjoy. And don't do, you don't have to do anything at all. And if, you, if Pastor James ever gets upset, well, that's the, uh, that's the risk of taking sabbatical and letting someone else preach in this church. But before we... Depart from this place. And before we all leave the church right now, please allow me to just share a very familiar passage in the Bible. I would like to invite you to open your Bible in the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. And for some of us, you probably even memorize this story very well. We have heard this story over and over ever since we were young. And this is the story about that poor widow that gave gave two silver mites in the temple. Now as you look upon the way the book of Luke described, there were two classes that were described in details in this story. On the first one, we we found the rich people. And the the word rich in this context was used to describe wealthy people in the Bible in general. But there are certain individuals that were associated with this word when it was used in the Greek New Testament. The first one was Zacchaeus. And then the second one was Joseph of Arimathea, which both has a very influential role in their society. Number two, it was mentioned in the book of Mark chapter 12, verse 41, that the word rich were in plural form. Means what? That these are more than one people. So there are plenty of them. And then the amount that they gave, even though it was not described in details, but the description was that it was a lot. Now, in contrast with these rich groups of um, givers, we have an individual in the opposite side of this group. She was a widow, which means that she has no social support, she has no one to support her life, she is alone. And then it was obvious in all the passages that talks about this text, that she was poor. And not only poor, she was very, very poor. Because the gift that she gave to the sanctuary that day was two small copper coins, known as lepton in the Greek New Testament. Now the word of lepton is about six minutes of a daily wage. Now can you imagine the, the value of her gift? It, it's compared to nothing. She basically gave nothing in terms of its value to the sanctuary. But yet, all of us know that after, despite this stark contrast between the two groups, Jesus commended the widow. She gave more than the rest of them. Jesus acknowledged the, the gift of this widow. And today, I'm not coming here to give us theology I'm not going to preach about the depth of this text and trying to elaborate to every one of us about, about the beauty of the literature of Luke and how the background of his, his, uh, his education as a doctor compared to the way Mark told about it, it's, uh, we can learn something different from this story. No. There are many other theologians that can give you a better message in, in, in the depth of the passage better than me. But the only question that I would like to ask us today is this. The rich that day gave something, but the widow gave everything. That was the difference. The rich gave something, but the widow gave everything. And this question is the one that I would like to ask you. Which one are we? Are we the one that gives something to God? Or are we the one who give everything to God? Because there is this mentality that it seems to be very rampant among God's people. And that this mentality of I support. What is this I support mentality? That we somehow believe that because we have given something to God, that it is enough for Him. At least I have a credit, you know. I have done something for the Lord. I have given something to the church. I have served the church in this capacity. I have done all the things that I have tried to do. I have given something to God. I support. And support is good enough for God. But if you look upon this biblical message of the book of Luke chapter 21, despite the fact that I support sounds very good, It gives a good relationship between pastors and their member. You know, pastor, I support you, right? I support you. You know, I'm I'm a good person. I'm kind. I I, I give what I can for the church. I support you. But it doesn't mean it's a biblical message. Because if we put ourselves in a position that we are saying that we support the church, the the question remains the same. Are we giving something to God? Or are we giving everything to God? And and when it comes to this reality check of this, I support, I give something, I've done something for God, maybe today is the time for us to look back and examine the reality of what we have given to the Lord. Now, recently, the conference kindly um, gave us this opportunity, all pastors. to to take a break from ministry and to go for a cruise. Now, uh, in the beginning of the cruise, I was a bit hesitant. So Pastor James said, hey, are you going? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. But um, along the way, when we were in the cruise, uh, it is my natural curiosity to try to look upon details of the ship. You know, while, while my son and my wife were, trying to play with all the entertainment. I, I, I'm not interested in those things. I, I'm more interested in the, in the specification and the technical details of the ship. So I went to check and they explained all the details about the ship. Now the, the cruise that we ride, uh, it's about, um, they, they, have, they, they have the capacity to, 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 to accept about uh, 6,000 passenger and it's supported by 2,000 strength of crew. And when I look upon these details, a thought came through my mind. And I've shared this with the Jurong Church uh, two weeks ago. So for those of us who heard me preaching there, you have heard the same illustration but not the same sermon. Mm-hmm. But, but this is the thing that I, I thought in my mind. You know, we as a 7 day Adventist in this place, in this country, how many of us, the book, numbers put us at, at about 2,000 uh, members. And I immediately look upon this ship. Then this this funny thing came to my mind. You know, for some of us, we always are very concerned. You know, when the last day comes, and, um, and then where are we going to run, Pastor? You know, Singapore is very small. We cannot run away to the mountain. The only place that we can hide is in Bukit Timah or in Kranji or in Chochukang, And they can... Catch us immediately. Then I said, relax, don't worry. All that the conference need to do is that every one of us will buy a cruise ticket, we will ride this cruise, and we will just flee from Singapore. Why? There are only 2,000 of us. And even one ship will be more than enough to accommodate every single Adventist over here. But at the same time, it's a very, very powerful reminder for us. We've been here for more than 100 years. But we cannot even feel one cruise ship for the rest of our ministries in this country. What happened? What went wrong? What is the situation happening right now? Can you imagine every single weekend, There are 2,000 people going out on a cruise, and yet we are not even able to fill that ship. And oftentimes we can be comfortably said to ourselves, God, I've done something for you. Please don't ask me more. I've given something for the church. Please don't ask me more. I've done all that I can in my convenient time for you. Please don't ask me more. And we are, it seems to, we are very comfortable with giving this answer to God. When the reality is, perhaps, just perhaps, we are indeed in a cruise that going nowhere. We are going nowhere. Yet we are in the cruise thinking that everything is fine. You know, we enjoy the food, we enjoy the entertainment, we enjoy the good speech, we enjoy the the, the company of the people. But that cruise going nowhere. But we are happy. Everybody is happy. Everybody is comfortable. Everybody enjoying their time. Even though the cruise is going nowhere. And the question that struck my heart that I would like to share for us today is this. Are we so comfortable with this situation? That we continue to think that by just giving something to God, that is good enough what I've been doing. And, and not, not only this question burdened me a lot, I was wondering that like perhaps I'm one of those people who are comfortable doing this. I'm happy just being in this cruise and enjoying the ride with the, with the, the 1,500 people in this place called the Seven Day Adventist Conference of Singapore. And we come to this idea that, you know, I've done something, Pastor. And I've done something, please. You, 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 you cannot come to me and say that, you know, you do nothing. I've done something. But I have to tell you the truth. Uh, and this is the truth that is hard for me to say. it, But by the grace of God, I have to say it. That that's something. If we look upon the book of Luke chapter 20, one, it is not good enough. It is not good enough. Because what happened with all those rich giver in that day, they have given something. They have given something. But in the eyes of Jesus, when when He saw what happened in the synagogue that day, He didn't say that they have given nothing. But the, 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 the stark contrast between those giver and this poor widow is what? That out of her nothingness, she gives everything. And, and some of us may say, pastors, are you trying to teach legalism? You try to say that, oh, you have to work for the Lord and the Lord will bless you. You have to do something that you, your, your, your salvation will be secured. You have, to, you have to be a good Adventist. You have to be a very evangelistic person. Then, then you are worthy to be accepted in the community of believers. No, 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 not at all. It's actually to the opposite of it. Because sometimes or many times, there is this unspoken sense of security in something. Have you ever realized it? You know, like, you know, when, when, when this guilt coming to you, and then a pastor preach and, you know, call you to, you know, come serve the church, you haven't been doing something for the church, you know, do something for us and on, so on so, and so forth. You know, there's this sense of guilt we said, yeah, yeah, I know that's the right thing to do. I know that this is something that I'm supposed to do. You know, I have to love God and I have to serve Jesus, uh, my Lord and my Savior. And so, we do something. But this, this, this sense of doing something can be a fake or a, 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 a false sense of security. I've done something, God. And, and so, it soothes our guilt but is it biblical? It helps us to go through another week. You know, maybe today, like, oh, yeah, why Pastor James asked me to sing again? Of course, for the two of you, I really felt in the, in the, in the experience of worship, just to let you know. Huh? But, but, but uh, sometimes, you know, we, we went and we, we said, ah, oh, yeah, sing again. Never mind, I'll do it. You know, at least I show, I show my pastor that I have done something. It helps us with our guilt but we are probably going astray from the message of the Bible. Because as you look upon the Bible, what did God ask us? What is demand, God is demanding from every one of us? Is it our something? No. Is it the amount that we can give to God? No. Obviously, from the first part of the Bible till the end, God demands everything. Everything from us. Everything. And until we reach that level that we are giving Him everything, we are not yet practicing the Word of God. Because at the moment when you realize that when you are giving everything and that is not even good enough for the Lord, then we will understand who we are in the presence of this Almighty God that it is simply because of His grace, it is simply because of what He can do for us and with us, that we are worthy to be accepted as His people. Because nothing, and literally nothing, will be good enough for us to say, God, I have a credit in Your presence. I have done something for You. I have done this and that, and I have credit, you know. I have some investment in in you. I have have some, some, some merit that you need to consider. And this false sense of reality can be so strong, we cannot even comprehend it sometimes. But until we reach that moment when we realize that no matter how good we are, no matter how many somethings that we have done for him, that all those things are not good enough, but yet he said what? My grace is sufficient for you. That you are still worthy in my eyes. That you are good because you are my child. And the way now we see ministry and service to the Lord will be totally reversed. Because it's no longer about me giving something to God. But rather because of His grace, I receive this privilege to be in His presence. It's a total change of worldview and we're no longer the one that is benefiting from God, but rather we are the one receiving grace day by day. That it is because of this grace I find joy, peace, and comfort with God. Because every time we think about something that we have done, and especially me as a pastor, sometimes I also have this temptation and I fall for it, that, that this truth of, Something that I do may be worthy enough for God to love me more. Amen. But I have always been reminded by that powerful statement that there is nothing that you can do. If we are friendly to us, and if we are participating in the service, and we support him or her, even though it's nice, it's kind, it's wonderful, knowledge and, and, and tell you that keep, but control of it, and that is that it is not good enough because it's not yet everything. So you may ask pastor, so what do you mean then? What is your message? What are you trying to push through? And I'd just like to ask you to look into the book of Luke once again, in the book of Luke chapter 18, verse 28. When Jesus gave a very tough message and then a lot of people left And Peter said this statement, we have left all we had to follow you. And perhaps for many of us, you may know me, you know I'm an Indonesian, uh, but today, please allow me to take just a bit of time to share of my testimony, not because there is something so significant no one else can do it, not because I'm a special person that I should be your example, no but rather because I find that until I share this, this is just gonna be another sermonizing of the Bible. Now, for many of us, uh, you may or you may know I've been here for 13 years. And I still remember my, my interview that happened in that small room outside of your church. And I was a fresh graduate from school and I finished from our institution in AIU, and I was heading towards Indonesia. Because deep in my heart, I, I always have a special place for this country. I know some of us say, hey, why do you like Indonesia? Like, Indonesia is messed up, man. And, 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 and I like one of, those, uh, one of our members who, who used to work in Indonesia, he's from Canada. Then he said, sorry pastor, I have to tell you this truth. I said, your country is messy, but that is the mess that I like. Mm-hmm. And I would like to say the same thing. My country is messy, but that is the type of mess I like. And so when I, was, when I graduated from, from, from college, my heart and my mind was determined to go back to Indonesia to serve my people. And I sent my application to every single union exists in Indonesia. I send my application to the mission from Sumatra all the way to Papua. I send my application to my uncle in one of the unions in Indonesia. I send it to my old school. I send it to my old conferences. Everywhere that I can send, I send my application. And after waiting and waiting and waiting for three months, coming to four months, no call at all, and my graduation time is coming, And so I was like, what to do? You know, like, no one called me. So I received a phone call from Singapore. Then I said, then this call said, we heard that you are graduating. Uh, Will you be interested to come? And my answer was, no. I'm not interested to come. But this person insists, just try. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. You know, just try. Just send for the sake of our friendship." I said, okay, yeah, you're a good friend, we know each other, I send. So, I didn't, I didn't expect anything. I didn't expect that they even going to reply. Two weeks later, I received an email and said that, can you come? Well, we would like to interview you and we would like to um, see you preaching. So I said, okay, come, free ride to Singapore, jalan jalan, you know, enjoy this country. That's what I have in my mind. So I came here, went to the church, and then preach. And then when it comes to the interview, I literally tell our interviewers, if you're ever going to employ me, I can only stay for two years because I really, really want to go back. I really want to go back. And then, um, you know, I ask... Um, the one that uh, the, the the church pastor that helped me along the way, then said, well, you know, when, when they see you, they like you. I'm in mean, the church. But they have some reservation for you. You know, they, they have some concern about you. Then I said, very good. <laughs> Means I'm not, I don't have to come, you know. You, they don't like me, very good. You know, I don't have to come. Because I set my my my, my direction towards my people. And then to make the long story a bit shorter, <laughs> I went back believing that there will be no call. Because I mean, after, first of all, I said I can only stay two years. You know, perhaps the interviewer will think, hey, who are you? You know, you are, you are just a, a young pastor, freshly graduate, and you tell us that you can only, who are you? And then uh, number two is, you know, I, I have that concern of, of the, some of the feedbacks. And, and immediately, because of my heart was really, really uncomfortable, the moment I landed back, the first thing that I did was I emailed our uh, previous mission president to say that, Pastor, if you have anyone else in your mind, please prioritize them first. Just put me on the bottom list and, 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 and don't, bore, don't bother about me. Then the reply was very short and simple. It's not for you to tell us. If, we, if we're going to call you, just get ready. I was like, okay. And then after waiting, after waiting, suddenly they said, we are pleased to inform you by you that uh, we, are, we approve, uh, the, um, the executive committee have approved uh, to accept you as part of our ministry here in Singapore. And I was like, oh no. What happened? You know, it's, what happened? They send me the paper you know you have to do the application and everything so I do it and I, I did it in a in a in a very uh, abrupt manner send it back then after three months nothing came up then they said oh sorry to inform you that your application had been rejected I said yes <laughs> yes I'm still going to my place and and they said but we will try again." And I said, okay, why do I want to try again? So they try again. So they called uh, MOM Then they asked, what happened? And MOM said, well, in his application, on page 7 and page 8, one of the curve of his signature is not matching. <laughs> so what he needs to do is just to re-sign everything and done. So they said, that's all, uh, not because of his qualification, nothing, nothing, it's just because one of the curve in the, in the paper. So they said, hey, you, next time uh, when you sign the second paper, uh, ask someone to look at you and you know, so you can have the proper signature. I said, okay, okay. So I sign everything, I make sure that all the curves are. Within a month, it was approved. I came to Singapore, it was a new country for me a new country, different culture, different background, different story from the way I used to know. And it was tough because um, it was something that I didn't expect. And being in a place where things are very different from what you used to be, it takes a different approach that I have to do in order to adapt here. So I find myself that it is very biblical what the book of Genesis said. It is not good for a man to be alone. <laughs> so on my second year being here, I immediately called and talked to my mother-in-law and said that, "Can I marry your daughter? Because it is not good for a man to be alone, because all the challenges that I face over here. And you know, I thank my, my in-laws, which are watching me right now, um, that, that that they allow their very young daughter, she was 22, and she was having her career, and the school was very happy with her. She had a very good career. She just starting her career. And then she, she was in a situation where she was very happy with her life. Then I said, I need you. I need you to be with me to help me in my ministry in Singapore. And she said, okay, if my parents allow me to marry you, I'll And she came. We got married, and on our wedding day, the principal of her school came to me and said, you're still our best worker. (laughs) You better take care of her, you know? And we came down here, and life has its own story, which I don't have to explain everything today. But in short, when I look upon Luke chapter 18, I said the same thing to God. I have left everything together with my family. We are, have nowhere else to go. My apology. I've left everything, my dream, my plan, my, my hope, my passion, I've brought my family here. We have nothing else to go. Because this is my burden I'm not trying to put myself today as if I am the example of that poor widow. But in comparison to many of us who are here today, what I have is nothing to compare f- to what all of you can give to God. I mean, come on, think, think about it. I come from a third world country with a very broken English, with a very different culture, with a very different way of education. You know, I don't go to to elite schools like many of us. I don't have the, the privilege to enjoy the beauty and comfort of this country. If God demands something from us, and we are supposed to give it to Him, all of us here definitely can give more than what I can give to God. But I always have this burden to ask this question that I need to ask today. Have you given everything that you have for God? If not, the simple question will be, why? 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 Because to be honest with you, have we ever come to that moment in our life where we have that same burden when Jesus looked upon the city of Jerusalem and wept over that city. Have you ever come to that situation in your life as you look upon Singapore, as we look upon this country and wept for this country? You know, for the last 10, 13 years of of being here, you know, I can feel that sense of patriotism that many of us have. Because one day we went to Indonesia for a young adult trip and you know what, some of our young adults, they buy those internet loads so they can, you know while we are traveling towards the beautiful places in Indonesia, so they can watch the National Day Parade from the truck, from the uh, fan that we are riding. That's how patriotic some of us for this country. have you ever wept for the people of this country? Have you ever looked at this country and said, Oh dear Singapore, how I wish that you, you can hear the message of the Lord and you have that little burden at least in your heart to go and to minister to the people of your country. Because I have this personal burden that still puzzled me for the last 13 years here in Singapore. How come there are not so many young people who join the ministry for the sake of the gospel? Now, now I've been told that pastors, you've been preaching from churches to churches, trying to recruit young people to be pastors. You know, please don't do that. We're not comfortable. You know, you, you are like an army recruiter. You go and try to rally young people to go. You know, they have future, you know. They have a career to, 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 uh, to go. You know, you, you tell them to be a pastor, how much salary can they get? Are you going to be comfortable to know that they cannot even afford the condominium that I want them to have? And I'm so burdened with this, with this, this statement. Not because I want to recruit young Singaporeans to be a pastor, but for me, it is a significant indicator upon the passion and love of their own country. If you look upon every gospel, every moment when Jesus did his miracle, especially in the Book of Luke, once again, when when he when he when he. When he Heal those people who were possessed by the demon. What did he say to them? When they said, teacher, we want to follow you. What did did he say? No. Go back to your hometown and tell what God had done for you. Burden seems to be very lacking in many of us why we continue to need a foreign talent to come and to become the messengers of the gospel here. Now, I'm not going to bring the political issue of foreigners against local. It is nothing about that. But that burden for your people, that burden for your neighbor, that burden to say that they need to know Jesus, it is something that perhaps, just perhaps, we are still far away from the biblical model that God wants us to have. Now, I'm not here to say that from now on. Every time you are in the grab, you have to talk to the grab religious matter. No. I'm not trying to say that from now on. Every time uh, Aztec has something, we all have to go out and stand in the MRT or at the malls and start to give out tracts. I'm not trying to say that, that From now on, you all, every one of us have to wear that shirt, Jesus loves you, or Jesus died for you, and we're going to stand in orchard and try to proclaim the gospel. I'm not talking about that. Actually, those evangelistic approach can be questionable as well. What I'm asking is simply this. Do you have a burden for just one person, just one person, that you no need to know Jesus? That you can approach them with your gift and talents. You may not be a preacher, you may not be an evangelist, you may not be a, a good person that can talk to strangers, no. But do you have that burden just for one person of the people of this country? That you are willing to say, Lord, for this person I'm willing to give everything that I can. If it means that I have to live my career for just one person for the sake of the gospel, I'll do it. If I have to downgrade my career in order for me to be able to serve you more, I'll do it. If I have to sacrifice something that I need to sacrifice in my life for the sake of the gospel that you have said that it is my duty to do it, I'll do it. We realize this, that sacrifice is not a sacrifice until it hurts. We like to sing that song, right? We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Is it a real sacrifice? Because a real sacrifice must hurt. Otherwise it's not sacrifice, it's a gift. But sacrifice requires us to feel the pain of letting go certain things for the sake of the gospel. Sacrifice means that somehow troubles and challenges will face us. But if it is what it is, in order for me to be able to give my everything to God, thy will be done. Because until we reach that level of understanding what it means to give everything to the Lord, this story that we hear in the book of Luke chapter 21 will just be a beautiful children's story we tell our children it is right to give everything to God. But if the practice that we are doing it in our life are totally opposite of that, then we have no merit to tell that story to the next generation. I will ask this question once again. Have you given your everything to the Lord today? Because that meant in the book of John, chapter 21, verse 15 to 25, who said that I have gave everything to God. What did happen to him? He denied God. He denied Jesus at the moment when he needed uh, him the most. But at, the, at that moment where he, he failed, Jesus came back to him and said what? After all the event that had happened, he was crucified and he was resurrected, and so he came to Peter and said, Peter... Do you love me? And, you, and Peter said, Yes, Lord. But it's a different word that is being used in Greek. I think you have heard the sermon before. Jesus asked him, Do you love me? And Peter realized that he doesn't have that love that Jesus demands from him. Lord, you know that I love you. And at that moment when Peter gave everything out of his nothing, knowing that his love will never be perfect, knowing that he will never be good enough for God, but yet that is what God, Jesus wants from him. Just do what you can. Give all that you can. What did Jesus say to him? Feed my lamb. Today, I just like to tell us, that our journey of faith will never be perfect. God does not demand us to give the perfect gift, but God demands us to give everything. And when we give it all to God, may we find the joy of understanding what it means to give from nothing, and yet it's everything for Him. If Jesus asks us the same question today, Ask that, do you love me? What will your answer be? I leave it for us to answer it to the Lord. Amen. is yeah. Christ is born, the shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed the Savior's birth. Go, go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and blessing of God be with us as we depart from this place, knowing that He is indeed our God, Lord and Savior. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.